The question that uh, I've been asked to address this morning and the rest of our time is this. Why on earth do we worship the way we do here at Church Central? Uh, So whether or not that's a question that you've been musing, that is the question I'm going to set out to answer in the next 35 to 40 minutes. I thought we'd start with a bit of interaction, so get ready for this. I'd like to answer this question. Hopefully you can think of something if you can't just humour me and make something up. But what do you like about the worship here at Church Central? What do you like about the worship here? Just one after another, shout some things out. What do you reckon? Space to pray out and sing out. Yep, I like that as well. Anything else? The volume. Uh, as in, uh, good, and loud. good and loud. Okay, yep, great. <laughs> a bit of passion. Yeah, I'm liking that. It's responsive. Yeah, so, um, Wayne and, and the band this morning, they had some songs prepared. Um, but at the same time, what we go is what is happening. So, part of people having space to pray out and sing out, we want to respond to that and go with uh, what people are bringing and where God is leading us. So it's responsive, yeah. Corporate. Corporate. Uh, it's other people bringing contributions. It's not all down on the slick professionals at the front. Uh, no, we all have a part to play in this, all of us. Uh, so if you had been here at 10 o'clock this morning, um, I kind of strode in and undid all of the hard work of the people who laid out the chairs uh, because it was kind of all facing the front. And they did a great job, by the way, so no criticism. But uh, I, I brought more of a kind of curve to it, not because I'm really pernickety, but I want us to be able to see each other. Uh, as we were singing earlier, you might have seen me kind of looking around. It wasn't because I was bored. It's because this is a corporate thing. We're together. Uh, and I like to be able to see other people worshipping. I, 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 we're, we're family together. Anything else? The kids group. The, the kids are involved. And, uh, and it, it's great as family together having our kids here and seeing what God's doing and responding to it. And we don't want to just kind of shove them out of the way so we can focus. No, we, we, we love the squawks and the bangs and the cries and the prayers of praise that kids bring. We love being family together very much. Old and new songs uh, arrange. We're, we're not kind of, we're just singing this kind of song. No, 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 we're, we're open to the old and the new. Anything else you like? Spirit-led. I want to be open to the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do among us. Anything else? It's fun. Yeah, every now and again we have a bit of fun, don't we? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. We, we, We could pause there and all go home kind of patting ourselves on the back. But the reality is we we like some stuff, but probably all of us, Um, could think of some things we don't like so much. In fact, uh, each thing that someone just said, you might see the flip side and you might not like that so much. Now, I hope it's all right. I'm not going to open it up for you now to shout out all the things you're not so keen on. Uh, Let me make a few suggestions for you. I mean, for every person who thinks the music is far too loud and edgy, there's someone else who thinks the music's boring and not contemporary enough. Some people can't understand why we don't sing more hymns or more kids songs or more songs from their current 
favorite worship leader. Some people love songs that declare truth. Other people much prefer songs that focus on their own feelings. Some people prefer kind of raucous celebration, like kind of Chris here. Uh, (laughs) Others would much rather kind of sit in silence for the whole time. And that's not to mention the whole challenge of multicultural worship. You see, if we're really serious about integrating different cultures, not just into the room, but into our worship style, really, at the end of the day, the sure sign we're getting it right is everyone in the room will feel uncomfortable with it most of the time. And so, with all of these different views and opinions out there, what exactly is it that we should be looking for? What actually constitutes a good time of worship? Is it purely a subjective thing? We've all got a different view on it. Or is it something we can be a little more objective about? We can agree together, yes, that was a good time of worship because of these reasons. Is it all a matter of personal opinion and taste? Or are there some things that are always right and always wrong? Well, to try and find the the answers to all of those questions, uh, what I suggest we do is look at what the Bible says. Always a a good thing to do. Uh, And where we're going to be camping out for the rest of our time today is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where uh, rather helpfully Paul addresses this whole issue of worship. But just to warn you up front while you're finding it, this passage is quite densely argued, and in all reality, some of it is pretty hard to follow and understand. And so what I thought we'd do is break it up into four main chunks, each of the chunks addressing a different key question. So I'm going to read one section try as best I can to explain what Paul is saying in that section and then move on to another one and another one and another one and at the end wrap it all up by bringing a number of hopefully helpful points of application for all of us. So that is the plan. Let's start with the first question and the first chunk. Here we go. Is our worship about me or others? Let's see what Paul says, picking it up in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 14. He says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities or gifts that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be 
strengthened. Let's pause there. Let me try and set this into some kind of context because what I've just read is really the continuation of something that Paul started several chapters previously. It's a continuation of Paul's in-depth exploration of spiritual gifts, which he began back in chapter 12. Now, the central idea in that chapter, in chapter 12, is found in verse 7, where Paul says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. So we all have gifts. We all have a role to play. We all have a part here. And then here's the key phrase, the whole purpose of these gifts that we all are given is so, you ready for this, we can help each other. In other words, these gifts are to be used to build up and strengthen one another in the room. And then right at the end of chapter 12, after Paul has described in quite some detail, detail just a, a wide range of different spiritual gifts, he tells us that we should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Before they're moving on and painting uh, this pretty famous and actually quite remarkable picture in chapter 13 of the supremacy of love above everything else. Now, of course, love isn't a spiritual gift but it is the motivation that lies behind the use of all of the spiritual gifts. It's like, without love, no spiritual gift is worth anything. And then, in these verses, right at the beginning of chapter 14 that we've just touched on, Paul underscores both of those fundamental themes, the importance of love and the importance of building up one another. Really, in many respects, verse 1 here, it sums up Paul's entire position on worship. He says that love for others should always be our highest goal. It's like Paul knew that the issues he was about to unpack and explore the church in Corinth that we're going to work through for the rest of our time today, they were actually pretty controversial then and pretty controversial today as well. They were potentially divisive, and so he begins with a reminder to everybody that, look, above it all, our ultimate goal should always be love. Really? That is the theme of this whole passage. Verse 2 introduces the problem. The problem has to do with the use of the gift of tongues in the public setting. Now, just to explain... Speaking in tongues is speaking in another language. It's not a tongue or it's not a language that you can naturally speak. No, it's a Holy Spirit-inspired language. It's a kind of prayer language directed towards God. I mean, you probably know what it's like. Sometimes when we're praying, if you're like me, you just run out of things to say. And so at those times, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and in a supernatural way enables us to pray with a whole new vocabulary. Now really, the point that Paul is making here is that unless 
these words are interpreted, speaking in tongues doesn't build anyone else up. I mean, no one else has a clue what is being said. It's a personal thing. I'm speaking in tongues, but I'm not really thinking of others, and others can't understand what's happening. And Paul expands on this in verses 3 and 4, where he contrasts the gifts of tongues and prophecy. Basically, again, just to explain, a prophecy is a message from God to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, really with the aim of strengthening or encouraging or building up the whole church. Now, can you see the contrast between those two things? Speaking in tongues is speaking to God. Prophecy is God speaking to people, which is why Paul says that when it comes to public worship like this, when the believers gather together, much like we are right now, Paul far prefers the gift of prophecy. Why? Because it strengthens others. It's intelligible, it's understandable. Everyone can grasp what's being said. It is serving the common good. However, unfortunately, the complete opposite of this was happening back then in Corinth. It seems like there were a bunch of Christians in that church who believed that speaking in tongues was really the most important thing. It was the most important gift to have. In fact, they believed that those who spoke in tongues were like these kind of superior Christians. And so, during their public worship gatherings, loads of people would be speaking in tongues. And there wasn't any interpretation or translation of what was going on. It was just a free-for-all and it was chaotic. Now, Paul is at pains here to say he is not opposed to people speaking in tongues. He acknowledges here it's a great gift for building up the individual who's doing it. That's why he says in verse 5, he would love it if everyone in the church could speak in tongues. But nonetheless, prophecy builds up everyone, which is why he says prophecy is actually a greater gift. Here's the point. If you didn't follow all of that, zone in now, don't miss this. The purpose of gatherings like this isn't primarily all about my own personal blessing. The goal of corporate gatherings of the church like this is for the church to bring praise and honour to God and for each individual to seek the strengthening, the encouragement, the building up of everyone else in the room. It's not primarily for our own benefit. It's for God and it's for one another. Now, of course, if we get this right, the byproduct of all of this is you will benefit too. But that isn't the primary goal. If you think it's all about your own personal enjoyment, you've actually missed the point. The reality is, don't want to offend anyone, or maybe I do, but either way, the reality is you are not the primary point of this meeting. 
God is and God's people are. So consequently, you don't then measure the success of a church meeting by how you feel at the end of it. Instead, you ask, was the rest of the church built up? Were other people in the room strengthened? And over and above all of that, was God exalted? And you, individually, do have a vital part to play in that. And so rather than focusing on whether you were encouraged and built up today, your greatest concern should be whether you used your gifts and your abilities to encourage others and build them up. So first of all, is our worship about me or is it about others? What do you reckon? Others. Correct. Tick. Okay, we've got that one. Now we can move on. To fill this out uh, and help us to understand, Paul gives us uh, a few illustrations. Uh, Let's look down to verses 6 to 12. The, the, The question here is this. Does it matter if our worship is intelligible or unintelligible or understandable or just not understandable at all? Let's pick it up in verse 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even Lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they do not understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. Now look, In many respects, Paul is praising them here because they're eager to have spiritual gifts. And this is a good thing. We are encouraged to go after these gifts. But really, the motivation is the most important thing. It's not so that we look good or impress others. It's not so other people think we are more special or more important. It's not to minister to some inner need in us to be needed by others. Paul says, seek those spiritual gifts that will strengthen the whole church. That has got to be the motivation the strengthening of others, the strengthening of the rest of the church. So the issue in this passage isn't about whether people who speak in tongues are more important than people who prophesy or vice versa. The issue is which gifts are for the greater good of others. And obviously, one of the key factors in all of this is whether the words spoken could be understood plainly and clearly. And so to illustrate the point, Paul says, listen, if you were to wander over there and 
pick up Lizzie's flute and just kind of randomly blow into it. Or if, as a visual aid, I'd brought my harp with me and I wheeled it in at this point uh, and got Tim to just kind of randomly pull on the strings, no one is going to know what tune you're trying to play. It's like the sounds must be intelligible, that the sounds need to be understood if they're going to bring about the desired response. Combien d'entre vous les anglophones Etion edifé parset. Now, I apologize profusely <laughs> to all the French speakers for absolutely butchering your language right then. Uh, for those who are still slightly puzzled by what just happened, that was my feeble attempt to say in French, how many of you English speakers were just edified by that? Uh, if you don't speak in French, you didn't have a clue what I was saying. In fact, if you do speak in French, you are probably none the wiser because of my atrocious pronunciation, which is where this illustration falls somewhat flat. But the point is, if I speak to you in a language you don't know, I cannot strengthen your faith. I may be very sincere, I may love you deeply, but you don't understand what on earth I'm going on about. It's like utterances in another language, even those inspired by the Holy Spirit, aren't of any benefit to others if there is no interpretation. So, what should we do then? Well, in verse 12, Paul says, since you are so eager to have the special abilities or gifts the Spirit gives, that's why I'm aside, I'll just ask you, could that be said of you? Are you eager? Do you personally desperately want more spiritual gifts? I genuinely hope that's the case. Be more eager to have and use these gifts. If you are, well, what then? What should you do? Well, Paul says, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. Listen, the point of everything in corporate worship isn't personal experience in the Spirit, but according to Paul here, it's strengthening the rest of the church. Now, I want you to be honest. Is this your goal? Is this what you have in mind when you pitch up here on a Sunday morning or on the back of Helen's impassioned appeal, you decide that actually I will sign up for a life group this term. Now the problem in Corinth was people were gathering out of self-interest. Their chief goal in their gatherings was selfishly motivated. It was personal edification. And sadly, Many churches today pander to this desire for getting our own personal needs met. Like, come and you will have fun. Come and we will make you laugh. Come because the coffee here is the best out of all the other churches in this city. Come and be entertained. Come and be impressed by the quality of our band. Now, I'm sorry. No offense to the coffee makers or our musicians, who actually I love. I think they do a great job serving us. But the reality is, none of that is what we're really about here. 
It's not all about coming and sitting back in our chairs and being entertained by the people at the front. No, it's all about coming and joining a family, coming and joining a community of people who together worship the living God and seek to love what he loves, the building up of the whole church. And for that to happen, people have got to be able to understand what's going on. Again, it boils down to whether this is all about me or about others. And if we're ready to agree today that actually on reflection, we think it's about others, then we will prioritize intelligibility. Now, moving on. There are a whole host of benefits and limitations associated with speaking in tongues. And Paul touches on some of those in this next bit, in verses 13 to 19. The whole question here is, should the gift of tongues be used in private or in public? Well, here's what Paul says, verse 13. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit or I'll pray in tongues, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, I'll sing in tongues, and I'll also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they do not understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. I think this is probably the clearest and actually most detailed teaching about the use of the gift of tongues in the whole Bible. A few things that Paul is wanting us to get here. First of all, Paul makes it clear that speaking in tongues isn't some kind of uncontrollable experience where you suddenly lose control of your mouth and the Holy Spirit overrides your ability to stay quiet. No, when Paul speaks in tongues, he isn't overcome by some power outside his control. Quite the opposite, it says here, he can decide when to pray or sing in tongues and when to pray or sing in an understandable language. He all the time has full control over the functioning of this gift. Second thing to notice, once again, the audience, when he speaks in tongues, is God and not the church. When Paul speaks in tongues, he is directing prayer and praise towards God. Now, just to say, the implication of that is, when in this context we have someone speaking or singing out in a tongue, we will leave room for a translation or an interpretation so everyone can understand and we would expect that to be an expression of praise directed towards God. 
And because the Holy Spirit has inspired it in the first place, it will be an expression of praise towards God that will come with a fresh sense of wonder and revelation and awe among us in terms of how great, how wonderful, how majestic our God is. And I tell you so often when these gifts play out in the church here, that's what happens. Someone plucks up the courage, speaks out in another tongue. Someone kind of after a while kind of brings a translation and think maybe this is it. They start speaking and it lifts the room. It's like suddenly we get a fresh sense of wonder what God's like and worship flies after that. When Paul speaks in tongues, he's directing prayer and praise to God. When he prophesies, it's different. It's directed to the rest of the church. And that's the crucial distinction Paul over and over again keeps making in this passage. If you like, prophecy is outward, speaking in tongues is upward. Now, that's not to say that Paul doesn't value the gift of tongues. I mean, he's addressing this tongues-crazed church. Their meetings were full of people who were obsessed in this chaotic way, just all speaking in tongues together. He's correcting them, yet he's still able to say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But through it all, it's the location that's important. Speaking in tongues is fine in private. It builds you up. It helps sustain your praying. It stirs you to praise God more, especially if you're using your mind as well. So it's not like you're watching TV and just kind of babbling around tongues, but you're engaging your mind to think about God at the same time. That's a great thing to do. But in public, Paul says, I'd rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. I don't want you to misunderstand. Paul is not being disparaging about the gift of tongues here. If anything, he's actually defending the gift. I think if this passage is anything to go by, if you could have eavesdropped on Paul's private devotions, you would have heard him praying and singing and praising in tongues more than any of us. But in public, it would appear he would have held back. Unless there was someone with the gift of interpreting tongues, he would have remained silent. Why? Well, we're back to this theme of the church must be built up through all of this. Let's tackle the fourth question, fourth and final question. Here we go. In all of this, and you can probably see what the right answer is now, should we be inclusive or exclusive? I think we probably know where this is going, but let's look at the passage anyway, just in case. Here we go. Verses 20 to 25. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. In other words, look, just grow up. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the Scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. 
Even so, if unbelievers or people who do not understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Now, what on earth is that all about? I mean, on the surface at least, it kind of seems as though Paul is contradicting himself here, doesn't it? It's almost like he, he can't decide whether speaking in tongues is intended for believers or unbelievers. I mean, everything he said so far has indicated that tongues are primarily to be used by Christians in private in their own personal devotions. They are not to be used in public worship unless there is an interpretation. But then in verse 22, he says, speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Now, what's the explanation of that? Well, here's my best explanation. I think Paul's quote here in verse 21, which if you look in your footnotes, it's from Isaiah 28. That passage casts a bit of light on the kind of sign that I think he has in mind here. You see, if we had the time to unpack the Isaiah passage, we'd see it's prophesying judgment on God's people. Uh, Isaiah is warning the people that they are going to be defeated by their enemies, the Assyrians, and he says, you will know that God's judgment is on you when the Assyrian army stands there in your midst, in your homeland, having conquered you. And at that point, you won't be able, you won't be able to understand a word they're saying. In other words, this is a sign, but it's actually a pretty negative sign. It's like, you don't understand. You don't know what's going on. You're no longer at home here. You don't belong. You are an outsider. And Paul's saying it's the same with the gift of tongues. It's like they're a negative sign to unbelievers. If unbelievers come into one of our meetings and hear all these people babbling away in other languages, I mean, what are they going to think? They're not going to understand what's going on. They're not going to feel very at home. They might even conclude that everyone is out of their mind. And so rather than bringing them closer to God, it's like to drive them away. Rather than helping them understand, it's going to leave them a whole lot more confused. So Paul is saying that the impact on unbelievers of speaking people speaking in unintelligible tongues is it will actually confirm them or reinforce them in their unbelief. However, the gift of prophecy, although given and intended to build the church up, is also a pretty powerful sign from believers. And unlike the gift of tongues, it's a positive sign. It can have a profound effect on unbelievers. I mean, there's no mistaking it. It's very hard to deny that something supernatural is happening in the place. I mean, how else would people get such insights and revelations about what's going on beneath the surface in people's lives? And so really, 
All Paul's doing here is expanding on the point he's been making repeatedly throughout this whole passage. Not only are spiritual gifts supposed to be used to strengthen the whole church, they're also to have a profound impact on unbelievers as well. Tongues, without an interpretation, sadly, they have a negative impact. Prophecy, according to Paul, that has a positive impact. And so, all the more reason then to pursue together the gift of prophecy. Why? Because it's inclusive rather than exclusive. Now, before wrapping all of this up, I just want to pause for a moment and speak to anyone here in this room today who is not a Christian. The heart of the passage we've been looking at, and sorry, it's a slightly more complicated one today, but the heart of this passage is that whenever people gather together in a church meeting like this, God wants absolutely everyone there to understand more of who he is, what he's like, and what's important to him. That is very much the heart of God, and in case you're wondering, it's very much the heart of this church as well. We are so thrilled you're here, and we desperately want you to know that God is here too, and we want you to encounter him and to understand more about him and to come to know him more for yourself. Look, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ literally died on a cross to make a way for people who were excluded, people who were very much on the outside, people who didn't know God, to be brought into close relationship with him. And I want to encourage you to keep coming back. You're so welcome. Please keep coming. Be our guests so that you can understand better who this God is. What Jesus has done to make it possible for you to know him personally. And look, if you've got questions about any of this, or if you've maybe come to the point where today you haven't had all your questions answered, but in your heart of hearts you know you want to follow Jesus for yourself. When we close in a few moments' time, we'd love to chat some more with you and pray with you. All that being said, let me wrap up by just lobbing out a few more thoughts by way of application for everyone else in the room. So here we go, quick fire. First of all, speak in tongues more. Oh, and not everyone has the gift of tongues. But if you've been given this gift by God, I want to encourage you to use it. It's a great gift. It is given to bring glory to God and to build you up. We mustn't be dismissive of it. And if you haven't, got this gift of tongues, and many in the room haven't, and you'd like it, we'd love to pray for you to receive this gift at the end of the meeting. Paul says, as we've seen, eagerly, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It's, like, it's okay to ask. And from what I know of God, he loves to give. So first of all, please speak in tongues more. Second, let's pay careful attention to how we use the gift of tongues when we gather together as a church. 
The second half of this chapter, Paul gives us some very clear guidelines for what orderly worship looks like. He's at pains to say in verse 39, whatever you do, do not forbid speaking in tongues. So sorry if you've heard forbidding. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Tongues with an interpretation is breathtakingly good. Tongues without an interpretation, not so good. So in Paul's words, here's what this looks like in practice. And this is what we're shooting for here as a church. Verse 26, when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and importantly, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues, so not all babbling together or not kind of under our breath, kind of muttering away. No, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. It's pretty clear. And that's the instruction, the order that we're trying to follow as a church here. Thirdly, I haven't kind of overtly said this, but I think it's kind of been the message bubbling away under the surface. Please, let's come ready to contribute. I mean, the message running through this whole passage is that whenever we meet together, everyone in the room has something to contribute. Might be a tongue or an interpretation, could be a prophecy, could be a song or a prayer or a passage from Scripture, could be a word of encouragement. The point is, we are all part of this. We all, each of us, whatever our experience or our maturity, wherever we're at in our journey with God, we all have something to bring for the encouragement and strengthening of others. And the reason we always, without fail, leave space for contributions in our worship isn't, underline, isn't because of the style of church we are. It isn't because, well, that's our preference here at Church Central. It isn't because we're a bunch of kind of raging extroverts. It's not that. It's because we simply, humbly, obediently want to follow the teaching of passages like this in 1 Corinthians 14. And so we persist to leave space, like we did this morning, for people to bring their contributions. And sometimes it's a bit awkward because no one brings anything. I'm thinking, can musicians start up again? But no, we leave space want to hear from one another. And sometimes we encourage it and then two or three people all start speaking at the same time and it's slightly awkward and I'd much rather have it that way. I think we can live with that. We're family. It is no problem. It doesn't have to be slick and professional. Far from it. We want to hear from one another. And so this morning, I tell you, my heart leapt when I heard Nadim praying out and I know kind of the, the things he's been through this week, praying out about God being a, a tower of refuge, a rock that he's clinging to, that did my spirit good. It was great hearing Lindsay kind of speaking out and, and, and exhorting us to focus on the glory to come. My heart leapt when that happened. I, I loved it when Beth courageously came to the front uh, and she could have kept that to herself because it was doing her good uh, and that would have been fine. But she thought, no, there's something that's doing me good that I want to speak out to the rest of us. And you might have noticed she was at, at, 
a bit emotional as she shared it. She was in a vulnerable place, and I'm not trying to bring that place back again, but she plucked up the courage to speak out, and I think we were all blessed by that. I mean, it, it took things to another level. It kind of opened up all those other contributions that came. We're family together, and it isn't just down to the kind of paid staff of the church or the the, the, the usual regulars, and we kind of know who those people are, the people who normally start things off, but it's great when we hear from all of you. We all have a part to play for the building up the strengthening of the rest of the church. So let's come ready to contribute. Fourthly, eagerly, de- fourthly of five, and we're nearly done, I promise. <laughs> eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Prophecy isn't necessarily the best spiritual gift, That really isn't the point of this chapter, but what a gift it is. What a gift. We had to bring words that strengthen, encourage, and build other people up. Wasn't it wonderful if you were here last week? Loads of guests in the room. The end of the worship thought maybe we're done, then Liz kind of pops up and brings two really specific, really specific encouragements for people in the room. And we didn't pick it up there and then because we had to move on and there were loads of other things happening, but I tell you what, I was praying for those two people in the room that those words would have opened up a new willingness to inquire about who God is. The gift of prophecy can do that. For those who have this gift, use it often. When we gather like this on Sundays, in life groups, do you know you can sign up for life groups right now? Uh, it's, open. it's a great opportunity for all of you to practice some of these gifts. You don't want to miss that. So sign up for a life group. Uh, when God speaks to you as you're praying for someone in the church just in the week, be quick to write those things down and share them. Be quick to build others up. If you do prophesy regularly, and I know some of you, you've got a cracking gift of prophecy, don't be complacent. Seek God for greater revelation. Ask him to increase your gift Pray for prophetic words that will cause people to fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Wouldn't we love that? The gift of prophecy can unlock more of that. And for those who perhaps never prophesied before, again, I want to encourage you to ask God for this particular gift as well. We'd love to pray for you at the end, and we will end soon if you want to receive this gift. And then fifthly and finally, and this has taken slightly longer than even I was expecting, but it's so important, so important we get this stuff. Fifthly, develop a passion for strengthening others. Please, wherever this message lands for you and whatever you agree with and don't agree with, get this, develop a passion for strengthening others. The words of verse 12 Seek those spiritual gifts that will strengthen the whole church. In other words, be intentional. This doesn't just happen. We don't just kind of drift into this. That's why we need to actively seek this stuff. How do we do that? I don't know if you spotted this, but really the whole passage is about our words saying things that are intelligible, saying things that strengthen others. You know, I bet that on any given Sunday morning, there is someone in this room that you personally could encourage. In fact, I'm not betting it, I know that's the fact. You could, for example, thank people for serving in some way. You could offer to pray for someone. You could, rather than hanging out with the safe people you know, 
You could venture out and chat with someone you've never spoken to before and welcome them. You could, ahead of the meeting, ask God to give you a verse or a word of encouragement for someone you'll meet and then share that word. You might not ever come up to the front and bring a word for the whole church, but I reckon you've still got a whole stack of words in you that have the potential to encourage others. We all have the potential to excel in this whole area of strengthening others. So really, let's make that our goal. Over and above our own personal desires, our preferences, let's set out to desire to build others up. Let's go out of our way to encourage and prefer others. At the end of the day, God's design is for every single one of us to live like that. And you know, the genius of it all is if we all make it our goal to worship him and seek the good of others, the byproduct will inevitably be that we personally get richly blessed as well. And that is why we worship the way we do here at Church Central.